This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Lou Roberts. This is Tyrese Campbell. And you're listening to the Every Step Along The Way podcast. Hello all and welcome back to your latest episode of Every Step Along The Way. Uh, now, we've got a couple of people with us today. Mike, as always, you are joining us. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you, mate. I must admit, I'm very much ready for this week to be over. Work has been stupidly busy. Um, and uh, yeah, it's I'm, I'm, just, I'm just done with this week, if I'm honest with you, Dan. So at least I get to speak to uh, yourself and our, and our other guests for today. So... Uh, it could be a hell of a lot worse, let's be honest. And yes, our, it, it is a full podcast team, isn't it, tonight? We've got Tom Cooper joining us. So, Tom, you're back on the pod. A man who uh, Twitter followers will know as the guy who does all of our graphics and everything. You're joining us on the pod again tonight, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. It's been a while. I thought I'd uh, jump back on, let my voice get out there a bit more. You only join when we're winning. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not winning. No. <laughs> we're not after Cardiff. No, we're drawing in this case. Not, yeah, drawing, yeah. yeah. The only joy when we're on a full match unbeaten run, that's a bit of a mouthful for a chance. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, obviously, we'll get into Cardiff straight away. Um, the team, now the team came out. Gail retained his place up front. No Josh Laurent still. Ryan Mai surprisingly missing through injury. Um what did what did you think of uh, the team when it came out, Mike? I think Gale was the one player again that I, I probably didn't want up front. I, I've already said a few times, Dan, if I'm honest with you, that um, I just think the lads had more than enough opportunities. Now, I wouldn't say that he performed overly bad in this game. I think there was a lot of anonymous players. Um, but I thought, you know, the team, Vidigal was playing. Uh, you know, obviously we, we, we saw Pearson. We, we saw the normal lot, right? Um, so I can't say I was really disappointed uh, with the actual lineup itself. I think most people would have chosen that. I think you probably would have gone for maybe Wesley over Dwight Gale, potentially, uh, without putting words in your mouth, hopefully. But, um, yeah, can't say that I was really enthralled about seeing Dwight Gale's name on the on the team sheet, if I'm honest with you. I wasn't too bothered. I thought he had a good game the week before. So I thought, yeah, he, he deserved another crack. Or well, even if he... Not, I don't know if I'd have selected him, but the fact that he was in the team, I wasn't like outraged at. I thought, yeah, that's fair enough. What about yourself, Tom? What do you think of the lineup? You're obviously shocked that Maya wasn't there, but 
new Loren bench still. Is that the right call for you? Yeah, I think so. I think the midfield three have kind of got it nailed down at the minute. I think DJ's a little bit on and off, but I'd have DJ over Lawrence at the minute, definitely. Um, I'd say the same with Gale. Um, I mean, when the team was announced for Middlesbrough, I said openly that I, could, I don't know why he's picked this team and then they ended up winning 2-0 away. So after that, I said I'm not going to question his judgment again. Um, when it did come out, I saw Gale again. And my only issue with Gale is he, he works hard and he doesn't stop. But we saw, as we did with them two chances at Cardiff, if he gets a chance, he, he he's not scoring. No, just not working for him, is it? This season, last season, in front of goal, he's just... He must have just used up all his luck when he's been playing for uh, West Brom and Newcastle and Peterborough in the day. We Obviously, getting into the game, there wasn't that many chances, was there? Or, you know, obviously, That's been a bit generous, Dan. <laughs> there wasn't that many chances. There wasn't any flipping chances. It's the biggest bore fest I think I've ever been to. Like, honestly, I'm sorry, I don't have jumped in on you there, right? But... <laughs> That first half, I wish I would not have even bothered turning up until kind of the second half, and that's really a stretch again. Like, genuinely, I just was... I've never been so bored. I wish I would have brought a book with me. It would have been a little bit more entertaining. It was poor beyond belief, and it wasn't just from Stoke. It was from them as well. Um, I, st- I think over the actual 90 minutes, actually, Cardiff probably deserved the win. Um, in terms of the chances that they actually created. If it wasn't for Jack Bonham having another good game, I think they would have won that match. And I would have found it difficult to really go against them. I think it was a tight game either way. A point was probably about right, but if anyone deserved to win it, it wasn't us. Um, I don't know whether it's an accumulation of of games adding up, whether it was just one of them days where we were off. I, I think what... I think could have been the issue, and I'm interested to get Tom's thoughts, right? But I thought the problem that we faced was the same problem that we've faced on multiple occasions, and probably what a lot of teams who play Cardiff will face, is that they were happy just to sit behind the ball. We would pick the ball up, they'd have two banks of four almost, and it was right, come and break us down, and we just could not break them down. And I don't think it helps when we're not firing on all cylinders either. So I think there's a lot of frustration. A lot of times we tried to force the ball or simply couldn't find space. Um, and we created pretty much next to nothing. Um, we were very fortunate to get away with a point for me on this one. Yeah, I think we sort of said on the pod last week, didn't we, about how they like to play and you know the passing. You know, when they get when you've got the ball, they're happy to sit off you, especially in and around their own box. Keep it very tight, keep it very compact um, and structured, and then obviously try and sort of hit you quite direct going forward. Like they move the ball quite quickly going forward, and it did seem to play out like that, didn't it? Especially like I say the, the they were allowing us to have the ball in and around at their box, but weren't really given up any sort of opportunity to create anything, Tom. Yeah, I was I was going to make the exact same point, to be fair. It was exactly the same as when we played Preston, um, but these didn't punish us as much as Preston did. They sat back and it was... We were chatting just before the podcast tonight and said, as soon as we got into the final third, because they had so many players behind the ball, we just kind of lost and we didn't know what to do again. Um, whereas in contrast, you look at the 
other four games, was it? Uh, the other three games, sorry. And I know it was four, sorry. Yeah, four. <laughs> I know three. <laughs> I can't even think where we are at the minute. Um, you look at them three games, and it's against teams who are up there and are going to come at you. Um, Cardiff aren't one of them teams. They are up there, but they're not a team that come at you full force. Um, but what they're doing is obviously working out for them. I must admit, I think one player that I'm I'm keen to give some credit to, and I mentioned him very briefly, uh, well done to Jack Bonham again. Um, he yeah. saved, yes, the one at the end of the game. That's fine. But you know what? He looked commanding. I think the couple of the corners he had, he didn't he didn't flap at them this week, I don't think. At least I don't remember. Um, I might have been asleep at the time, but I'm pretty sure he didn't. Um, I thought he didn't put a foot wrong. His kicking was on par. Uh, yes. we, we know he's a good shot stopper. You, you can't fault the guy. He's come in, played two games, and he's been good on both games. Like I gave him a lot of stick. I was quite harsh um, on him, and, and not harsh because I still stand by what I say. I still don't think he's a good goalkeeper, but all credit to the guy. He's clearly got his head screwed on um, and deserves the chance, of, uh, the, the chance of Jack Bonham, 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 deserves it. Yeah, yeah. Gab Sutton actually sent me a message on Twitter and asked about him, and I said I couldn't believe. Like when Travers went back, I thought right, season's over. You know, we got him for twelve games. We're going to be long and gone by then. Um, and I'm still skeptical because we've seen what he can do in a bad way in, over the last two years. But yeah, again, he was absolutely bang on, and he looks different. To what I've seen him look like before. Like I say, the one thing for me was his kicking before. He used to just boot it and he would either go out, so he would be nowhere near any bit of our players, but his kicking's actually been pretty decent. And like I say, he's he made a good save at the end and he looks commanding. He's coming out for balls. Even if he is punching it, at least he's not flapping at it like he has done previously. Obviously, we, we put a thing on the week, didn't we? 350 minutes since we last conceded a goal. Which is I think was it the sixth longest in twenty since two thousand and one? Yeah, twenty two years. I think one more clean sheet this weekend and we got to like third. But so yeah, we're on a pretty good defensive run. Now we have rode a look at times. Obviously Leeds had that penalty. I think the post has been hit a couple of times. Um but you are gonna have that, especially the, the the teams we have played as well. Do you think that, that obviously at the start of the season we were chopping and changing, weren't we? Um, you know, where the manager was trying to find out about all these new signings and trying to find out, you know, his best bat four and everything. Do you think because of injuries, because he's been able to sort of, well, maybe been forced, should I say, into a, a settled bat four, and everyone's playing in a natural position that? We've now got this defense, more defensive solidity due to that. Like, you know, injuries, as bad as they were, injuries to like Wilmot. Um, obviously, Stevens coming back and taking the left back spot. Uh, Hoover's made the right back spot his own now, it seems. And then the centre halves. So the back four, I think, throughout this entire run hasn't really changed at all, has it? Since the last international break, it has been the back four has been the back four. I definitely think there's a, a case to say that a settled defence has certainly helped me. I think I think any team with a settled structure 
is going to be stronger than one that keeps getting switched and changed every single week. I know it was out of necessity. It's not our ch- choice. I still think if Ben Wilmot was fit, he'd be in place of Michael Rose. I don't think there's any doubt about that for me. Um, I think that'd be a, a given. Uh, but again, credit to McNally and Rose. Solid again at the weekend. Uh, Stevens was a bit anonymous to, uh, for me uh, again, which is not, not, not necessarily a bad thing for a left-back, I suppose. He didn't cause any major issues. Um, I think I'm going to say it again. Keanu Hooven, he's dropping. He's so susceptible to stupid mistakes at the back, giving balls away when he doesn't need to. Um, he frightens me at the minute, Dan. And I said to you the other week that if he goes forward and he puts good crosses in, you know, and he's dangerous at the other end, which he has been in the past, you can allow that. And you can just accept that he's going to maybe cost you a goal every now and then at the back, but he's going to contribute to three or four up top. The problem he's got at the minute, he can't defend but he's also can't attack either. The amount of times that that lad's had a chance to cross the ball in and either doesn't beat his first man, which Alex Neal referred to actually in his post-match press conference, he didn't beat his man when it was far easier to do so. Um, Larice was trying to play him in sometimes and the guy didn't know whether to go, whether to stay. And if he did go, he, you know, he'd be behind the play. Um, I think it's not he's not a bad player overnight. He's still a young lad. He's still learning. But I just think a bit like Josh Lorraine, I think he needs dropping for a few weeks. Bring in Junior, give him some, you know, something, even if it's subconsciously, right? Just not knowing he's going to be on the team sheet every single week. He is the one weakness. And I'd say that we've kept clean sheets in spite of Hoover rather than actually because of him, if I'm honest with you. It's, it's interesting because there's actually an article in the East done um, that's come out this week saying that he always knows that he's got the attacking ability, but it's, it's switched off in the past, and obviously something that he's working on. And he, he sort of, he said, I think he knows that he can be a great defender. Uh, you know, once he improves that and cuts that out of his game, so it, I don't know if he, I don't know if I think he needs dropping. I think he, he, I thought he had a decent game, but yes, I don't know. <laughs> I think he's he's played all right recently. I think. Personally, I, I know we've sort of did different opinions on him, haven't we, over the last like, three or four matches? Um, we have, mate, yeah. I think he's been absolutely <clears throat> shocking for most of the season. In fact, shocking's a harsh word. I think he's been very below average for almost all season. He started off quite well. I think he obviously scored on his on his first game, if I remember rightly, I'm going back a bit now. He scored uh, the first goal against Rotherham. Yeah, a brilliant volley. Like he, he was like, "Oh, here we go. He's back. He's, he's, you know, started where we left off." And I think ever since you know a few games in, he's just been. Uh, I just think he's been poor. I don't think he's had hardly any good games at all. He's made the odd block that saved us, but then in the game, he's probably made three or four ones that almost killed us. So, I think. I don't know. I, I, the other thing for me is, Chamadeo came into the team and. He did not put a foot wrong for any of the games. He looked ridiculous defending. He got forward well. He's got the pace. He's got the power. And although we know what Hoover can do, at the minute he's not providing that. And when you've got a junior on the bench just sitting there, it's kind of, is that how you repay good performances? By benching them? And, you know, he's watching somebody perform below average. I agree, mate. Yeah, I think it's very harsh not to give him a chance. So, would you have Junior in for, for Hoover as well? Yeah. At the minute, yeah. I think 
I think we've seen what Hoover can do. He's, he's he could be a massive part of the team. I think at the minute it's just to me at Cardiff. He just he just looks sluggish. He was just when we were breaking forward, he just kind of stood on the touchline and just watched his man run past when he should be busting a gut to get around his teammate, get to the byline and get the crosses in. But he kind of just stood and watched. Um, you saw a few of the players just look at him and shrug their shoulders and yeah, I think gesture, was, gesture towards him. It's like, where, you know, you're meant to be there. Where are you? Yeah, was it? I think I can't remember who came. I think it might have been Gooch when he came on. He ran down that wing. Hoover was running with him. Gooch stopped, expecting Hoover to come around the outside, but Hoover had already stopped and he stood behind him, watching him with the ball, and he's just kind of holding his arms out, saying, <laughs> "What are you doing back there?" I, I agree. It's, don't get me wrong, but he's not. I think everyone performed very averagely, bar the Bonham and McNally and Rose. Uh, I thought Ben Pearson was again pretty solid, uh, pretty all over the place. Uh, Berger, eh. again, he, Berger really is interesting to me. He can play brilliant for five minutes, play crap for ten, giving stupid balls away, and then he'll make a great run and a great piece of passing play. He is a peculiar player to watch. Yeah, you he's... don't know what you're going to get from five minutes to the next. It's quite weird. Yeah, he's got to get the consistency, hasn't he? I think yeah. he's the same on a game level as well. He'll have one game where he's had an absolute blinder and then the next game he's missing and he can't make a pass. But I think you, you can tell he's got the qualities there to be a great player, but he has got to find the consistency. To be honest, a game like Cardiff with that sort of Leo, two banks of four sitting quite deep, it was you know, perfect for somebody like Berger for Stoke to you know get him in a position, manipulate a bit of a space for him, and get him having shots. You, you think like you know that that could be the best way. And, and whenever all else is failing, yeah, we know he's got a good shot on him. We know he can strike a ball well. So you know, get him you know edge of the box twenty five you know, twenty twenty five yards out and just get him hitting one. If nothing else. Um, I mean, we'll get into the Coventry game later. I watched their highlights. Both their goals last week for were rebounds off the keeper. So you know, it's um, it's uh, you know them kind of things as well. It just it just creates opportunities in games like this where you can just get a goal out of nothing, doesn't it? Um, you just quickly, Dan. I mean, for you may I'm sorry again, maybe jumping on your uh, on your fire here. Um, what did you boys think of the people who actually came on the pitch? I thought Gooch looked okay. I thought Wesley looked off the pace. Haksabanovic, I love the guy, but he was non-existent. Juno struggled to get into the game, but at least he tried. And Josh didn't do anything wrong either. I just, I don't think anyone's come on that pitch and made the manager make a decision for Coventry. Yeah, there was no impact sub, was there? No. Wesley can be so good, but he seemed again he gets... I think he gets bullied off it a little bit sometimes far too easily for a man of his size. I also think he's the victim of the Peter Crouch scenario where yeah, because he's insane. big and tall and bulky, like referees think they have to, you know, make it practically a, a punch in the face before he gets a free kick. I think he struggles with that as well, but um I'm not I'm not saying the the play badly. I just I don't know what it was. Maybe Cardiff were that well organized and that well set up it made us look worse than we were. Um, That's exactly what I was just going to say. <laughs> I think that they they are very much us 15 years ago in that everything was set, you know, every player knows the job, everybody 
goes out and carries it. There's no frills. They don't try anything spectacular or, or special. They just go out and do the job. And it makes it very difficult for other teams to, to break them down. Maybe we got a bit carried away um, after three wins in a row, thinking we, you know, we were just going to sweep everybody aside on our, you know, on the way through. But for me, I, th- I think that's a game we lost last season. I think the manager said the same thing, didn't he? Yeah. Last season we'd have lost that game one 0 So I think these are the positives. Then one nils, turn them into nil nils. The games that we would have drew last year, you know, you get a nick a goal and turn them into wins, and that's how you end up climbing the table. Yeah, I was about, I was going to say the exact same thing. Last season we would have lost that two or three nil. Um, there's no team who's going to perform outstandingly every single game. You've got to grab a point or you know nip a win when it's been fifty fifty. Um, but yeah, like you say, last year, well, last five years really. Let's be honest. You play like that, you lose, as we saw with Rotherham last year. We battered him, couldn't do anything. They had a chance and scored. And in theory, we've played all the teams above us now, I think, haven't we? Yeah. So does that not mean that we've actually got a great chance? If we can stay in this until January, you know, people have talked about, D- um, what's her name, Beres and Diaz, uh, maybe wanting to come uh, and play on the red and white uh, for, for us. Uh, maybe that's maybe an option. Um, we might be a little bit, I don't know, overcrowded up front potentially, but uh, maybe if, if it replaces Dwight Gale, then it can't be much of a, a downgrade, let's be <laughs> honest. So I think it'd be interesting to see where we are come January, but we've got we've got 10 games now potentially against teams that are probably below us. I'd have to look at the fixture list again, but we've got a great chance now these really difficult games on paper um, are out of the way. Now, I don't want to come across any more teams that play in the manner of, of Cardiff, if I'm honest with you, because I think we're going to have the same problems multiple times. Um, we need teams coming at us so we can pick them off and, and open up the space. Uh, I think Coventry will do that at the weekend. The main problem you've got with that, especially at home, is the more successful you are, the more teams will come and defend against you. And especially when you you see that as a, it becomes of evidence to everybody that that is a weakness in your game. They'll do it even more. Yeah, I was. Yes. I think the only team that's sat back against us and we've done well is Rotherham. But both games we got an early goal, which forced them to come at us. And obviously, no disrespect, obviously they haven't got the quality of Leeds and Sunderland, so you could break them even easier. Nothing wrong with a bit of disrespect, mate. I think our under fifteens would have beaten Rotherham. Um, <laughs> like they are an absolute shower of a side. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to lie. Right, they, they are pretty damn poor. Um, it's but, weird, yeah. weird with Rotherham because away from home they're absolutely awful. Yeah, at home this seems to be like a pretty semi decent outfit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Weird. One more thing I will say is Vidigal off the pace for you guys. Yes. Yes. He is. I don't. What, what do you think that is, Dan? Because do you think it's a confidence thing? Um, I don't think. We all said confidence. I don't think it's confidence. I, if, I think if when I've been looking back at the games and you know contributions and stuff, I don't think he's running any less, and I don't think he's hiding in games. Do you think that maybe we've we've stopped trying to find him because Larice has been so good on the right? I was just yeah. Or too much down the right instead of focusing down the left a bit. I was, I was about to say the same thing. I think earlier in the season, he was kind of our main input of creativity. So he was kind of fine Vidigal, whereas at the minute, obviously, like you say, we've got Lloris 
Um, and I don't think he's had, has he even had a chance. I can't remember him having a chance. There was which what game was it the other week where there was a, a couple right from the off? Um, was it was it Sunderland? He's had the first chance of then about first minute a header he put straight at the goalkeeper. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he had a couple like that uh, where he, he he maybe could have done a little bit better, but that's fine. He's just come back from an injury. You kind of expect him to be maybe not quite firing, but I, I genuinely, I think that's all it is. I don't think he's been given a proper chance on goal at all since he's come back. He's had to like pinch little bits. So maybe uh, we've just put we've done we've done the the opposite. We've flipped it and gone straight to Larice being the man and forgetting about Vidigal. That's yeah, I think with obviously having such a good start as well, <laughs> that was always my fear with him. If he goes a few games without getting a goal, it's going to be oh, you know, he's not looking himself. But you know, he had a really flying start, probably one of the best starts we've seen from a new signing since I can't probably James Beattie from my memory. Um, but obviously, he's not going to score every game. But yeah, I do think he has been a little bit absent. Yeah, I think with Edgar, he's. You obviously, you have to remember as well. He only cost four hundred grand. <laughs> so, is he output? Did he outperform his, his level in those opening few games? Maybe is is are we? Is he going to be somebody who's not that consistent? Is that is that the reason why we we you know, we managed to get him for such a price? Why there weren't other clubs in for him as such? Um. I don't know. I still think, bar the Cardiff game where he was kind of disappeared, I, th- I think it was Sunderland, actually. I thought he was immense. He was creating stuff, at, you know, good passes. He was getting to the byline, winning corners. Um, I think with Vidigal having such a good start with the goals, I think that's kind of, for me anyway, I think I'm kind of looking at his goals rather than his actual performance, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I to, to, for the, just for the record, I think he's he'll come good. I was just um, you know just getting you guys' opinion on on his recent form. Um, would you would you maybe start a Haksabanovic in his place, or do you think he deserves another you know, another go? Because the old, the beauty of it is, if somebody is looking a bit off the pace, maybe looking not as sharp, which obviously could be due to his injuries and stuff that he's had. That we have got these other options now, haven't we? We have got plenty of options on the bench where we can alter it, and that and the squad is sort of quite rich in in forward options. If I'm honest with you, uh, no, I wouldn't drop Vidigal because I think he's always going to be capable. I think he's shown if he gets one shot off at the edge of the box, he's probably not going to be far away. So I wouldn't drop him at all. Uh, the one player I would drop is Daniel Johnson. Um, I think Johnson's been. Poor, he had a very poor game, very poor. It was one of the performances where I was expecting the, the crowd to start cheering as he got taken off. I, I really was worried that was going to happen. He was that bad. Um, I think he's had a, a couple of poor back-to-back games now for Johnson. And I still like the guy. I still think he's a, a good, solid championship midfielder. But I would actually probably bring Haksabanovic in and have him in, in that attacking midfield. I was going to say the exact same thing. I think, yeah. especially against these teams who are going to sit back, you've got to have creativity. Um, and I was, I was speaking to someone on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, but if you've got him and Vidigal on the pitch, have them into interchanging between the 10 and the wing and just let them do the thing, essentially. Um, 
because yeah, like I said, DJ is just so off at the minute, and he doesn't shoot either from outside the box. No, he's scared into you. He's can tell. scared to do it, and that's weird because you see him. In, I mean, I know it's warm up, right? I get it. You see him in the warm up, and he's bloody top corner in off the ball, like some cracking finishes, and you're like, why don't you just try it when you're on a football pitch in an actual live game? He, he does baffle me a bit. I don't know whether he's been told that, you know, try and set up Vidigal and in Larice and whoever else is with you rather than having a pop yourself. You wouldn't think a manager would say that, but maybe it's, again, a confidence thing. Maybe he's not feeling confident in, in his own ability. I think there are players, aren't there, that just it, prefer setting others up than than taking on the, you know, the, the shooting responsibilities themselves. Um, yeah, so it's, a lot of flair players are a bit like that, aren't they? You know, they'll, they'll find their, their enjoyment in in the uh, through balls, if you like, or playing somebody else in. It's an interesting one. I think the manager's got a job to do. I mean, you say you drop him. I suppose, obviously, Haksabanovic, are we changing the formation or do you think we're already playing no. that 4 2 3 1? I'd still I'll keep the same formation, Dan. He's, he's, he's one of them players that can play anywhere across the front three for me. And I know technically it's a midfield kind of position. But the way that he's been playing has been more of an attacking midfielder. Yeah. So, um, or you know, a withdrawn striker. So, no, for me, he's he'll easily just slot into that position. Do you think does that affect Berger's position, Tom, or do you think he's already playing more alongside Pearson than than obviously because initially we it was sort of Pearson holding, and then there was Loren and Johnson or Berger or whoever. There's two in front. Do you think that we've now gone to sort of the double, and it's sort of a double pivot, it's sort of called into these days, and then, like I say, gone from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1, basically? Yeah, definitely gone to a 4-2-3-1. Um, I think that was kind of what we were missing early in the season, that number 10. Um, we had players, obviously, they were pushing up, but you, there was no one really staying up there. Um, I think... Berger is better suited. I like, like I said, he has the moments, don't he, where he gets the ball, he turns, and all of a sudden there's gaps everywhere, um, which he didn't do much of against Cardiff, but he did against Sunderland and the Leeds as well. Um, and I think, the only, to be fair, I'm pretty convinced the only reason he's playing Johnson is because he, he gets Johnson pressing when they're playing across the back four, when they go back to the keeper. Johnson's the one who's up there in the face, and he will run, obviously, for the whole 90 minutes, which is why I think he's kept his place despite some poor performances. Is that not a key part of the game, though, Mike? Just that pressing? I mean, I'd like to think that Aksabanovic will, will put the pressure on him. I think <laughs> Alex Neal surely has really you know, drilled into this team that if you're going to play for me, then you're going to be putting pressure on. You know, you're going to know your role. I think you know Hacks will will run around. He'll put the pressure on. I I've not seen anything to make me think he can't do it. So, you know, yes, you need hardworking players in your team. I get that, but I do think that you know, for example, if that's Shakiri, you're going to forgive him, aren't you? You know, he's going to have done the you know the business at the other end of the pitch, and, and you know he's, he's going to turn the magic on. I think I'm fine with that. It doesn't need to be a Daniel Johnson all the time. So I I think Hacks will do it. Um, but I also think, you know, again, we're talking about Henry earlier. We maybe have to be a bit accommodating. Well, let's be a bit accommodating at the other end of the pitch. I think adding on to that as well, if Alex Neal did go to Hacks and say, 
let's say I go slightly as a 10, but you, you've got to press, you can't mope around, he's probably going to take that with both hands because at the minute he's not gaining that team ahead of Vidigal or Luis. Certainly, certainly interesting and something that the manager's got to sort of make decisions on and it may be that over time, like I say, that Johnson does start playing less and maybe he does trust uh, a bay a bay more, like John Hur or Haksabanovic, or even pushing Berger for further forward. Maybe he could even bring a Loren or a Thompson in. Um that's sort of our thoughts on the Cardiff game. And I know we went off on you know sort of long term tangents if you like. Um but yeah let's listen now to what the guys at uh, Cardiff Tom the Cardiff fan that we had on last week he, he gave us his post-match thoughts this is what he had to say all in all I think that's a pretty decent result for Cardiff um, you know it's a clean sheet at a place that I'm always kind of nervous to go to um, you know whenever we play Stoke I always expect it to be quite a tough game quite a physical one and you know, we've come away with a point, so I can't really complain about that. It would have been nice uh, to have a win, and I think, you know, maybe another day, if we were just that little bit more clinical, then it could have come. But if you can't win, then you just need to do your best to make sure that you don't lose. And we did just that. So, uh, yeah, I'm pleased with it overall. Uh, I thought it was a strong performance uh, against, a, you know, a really good Stoke team. Um, you guys are in a good bit of form at the minute as well just like us uh, so it you know it was pretty evenly matched and uh, point is probably uh, probably a fair result um, I think it either sets of fans could have felt a little bit hard done by uh, if they'd lost that so yeah in my opinion I, th- I think a point's probably fair uh, from a cover perspective you know that's uh, three clean sheets on the bounce now so I'm buzzing about that um, in terms of some of our players, I thought Siopis once again uh, played really well, and um, I'm glad that he's having just such a strong season. And you know, I still can't believe that we have him in our team. He's the type of player we've been screaming out for for years. And I was really happy to see uh, Keon Atete uh, back in the squad as well. He'd been out injured for quite a few weeks, and just as he was getting to a nice, decent little bit of form as well. Uh, so I'm happy to see him uh, back involved in the team. Uh, came on in the second half and. Hopefully now um, he can get his confidence back and push on a little bit and get us a few more goals and go back to the type of form he was in uh, before he got injured. And uh, yeah, you know, we we go on to the next one now. And um, yeah, overall, no real complaints. Cheers for that, Tom. Um, Pretty fair reflection. I think we've said ourselves, haven't we, you know, that... um, yeah, a draw was definitely the best that we could really have, have deserved, and potentially, you know, we were lucky to get that in certain aspects. Um, pretty much said from the man of the match. So Bonham, fifty-three percent of the votes that Bonham got for man of the match. He won. Ben Pearson, thirty percent, was second, and then Luke McNally was third with thirteen percent of the votes. Uh, the top three player season standings are unchanged. That's Larice in first with 212, Travers second with 205, and Berger third with 188. Uh, anything else you want to add before we move on? Uh, no, other than the fact that Jack Bonham deserves the man of the match. Really, really good game again. Yeah, 100%. 
I'm all agreeing then. You listeners did well. You voted the right man in. <laughs> right, let's move into the news. So, under-18s. Now, they last week, they lost away at Wolves by three goals to nil to drop down to ninth in the league. Uh, this week, they are at home to Liverpool on Saturday. That's an 11.30 kickoff at Claytonwood. And it's the last league action for three weeks. So a bit of a break from league action for the under-18s. Uh, Under-21s, they had a very different weekend. So last week, they won 6-3 away at Blackburn. So the under-21s team had Emre Tezgal, Nathan Lowe, Kyron Clark, Junior Ch- Chamadu, Sol Sadivi, Liam McCarron, and Joich all starting. So, it was a pretty strong team, I'd say, for the under-21s there. Uh, that is a ridiculous team for the 21s <laughs> Yeah. So, Tezgal um, got the first and the last goal, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, he got a brace. Uh, Nikola Jojic got a brace as well. And then there was also goals for Jack Griffiths and Kaelin Redding. Uh, which is now nice to see both of them on the score sheet. And interestingly, three Solsadibi assists as well, which is very nice. Uh, kind of the, um, a player that's found it really difficult to get in, hasn't it, really? I think he, he had a good, solid start to the season. We said he didn't look out of place. And I guess he's just the victim now of you know maybe that position he plays, he's not quite as Alex wants him. And also it's a position he's, he's quite well loaded up. You know, we've got Baker coming back as well now. We've got Josh Loren. We've obviously got the, you know, we've got Pearson, we've got Berger, we've got Johnson. Um, he's probably, it's funny actually, because in previous years, you could say that we've had quite a weak midfield. Oh, Thompson, let's not forget him. You know, he's, he's had a bit of a weak midfield uh, over the last few years, but we've probably got one of the, in theory, strongest midfields we've had in years. And it just happens to be the one year that Sol Sidibe makes his breakthrough. So, um, Maybe as somebody that we're going to try and get out on loan as soon as possible. Yeah, I think you have to remember as well that he is only 16. So he showed a bit of promise, but there's probably a lot of development still to go there. And like you say, whilst he's got people who've come in, I mean, you know, as, as supporters as the, the coach family are, if they've gone out and spent, you know, was it reported three and a half million quid on Berger to do that and then maybe not playing because you've stuck a 16-year-old kid in from the academy. That doesn't... <laughs> it's not going to uh, impress them too much, is it? I'm um, not saying you should no. pick players on on sort of, you know, uh, price tags or anything, but, um, yeah, I think he's definitely one for the future, and I think he has played well now when he's come on, but I think the fact he's done well now... Always like always not bad for a sixteen year old. Always he he's only counter place for a sixteen year old. It's like so if he was twenty five, twenty six, would we be raving about him to the same extent? That's the only thing. And don't get me wrong, I I, I think he's gonna be an absolute fantastic player. I think he's got all the potential in the world and you know, I'm gonna speak a bit more about him in a minute actually, but he um yeah, I think there's, there's, we've got plenty of time on our side with them, haven't we? That's the, that's the, the thing for me. So, yeah, other than um, that, obviously with the under-21s, there's no game scheduled now until December the 1st. So they've played their first game since September, and now they've got another break now till December. 
um, I imagine they'll try maybe and get a couple of those games that are postponed in in that time. Um, but yeah, if not, it's going to be December the 1st before their next in action. Uh, the women, so their game last weekend was postponed again uh, due to the weather. Seemed to be uh, running into all these uh, sort of storms that we're having. Uh, yeah, and they've got no league game themselves now scheduled until December the 3rd. Uh, but as it stands, that's as it stands, obviously, like I say, there are a couple of league games that need a rearranging, so they may fit them in there. Uh, but not on the next two Sundays, because they've got two home cup ties starting this Sunday, with the FA Cup tie at home to Dunton and Broughton. Yeah, so 1pm this week at Norton, uh, the Emory Stadium, yeah, for FA Cup action for the women. So, Loney Roundup last week, we had Tommy Simkin. And uh, you remember that last season, we sent Douglas James Taylor out on loan to Walsall. And Seb, a Walsall supporter, was keeping tabs on him for us and reporting back how he's getting on. Well, not only is Douglas James Taylor signed permanently there, so good luck to him in his uh, sort of future career, but uh, David Akagbu has made his way to the Bescott Stadium or the, uh, the Banksy Stadium, whatever it's called these days. Uh, to go to Oxale, join the Warsaw on loan for the initial part of the season. So let's join Seb now and hear how David's got on on the uh, start of that loan. Hello everyone on the podcast. Um, I'm a Warsaw fan and I've been asked to come on and give a little review on how David Okigbue has got on so far with his loan spell with, with Warsaw. Um, so he joined on deadline day on loan from obviously you guys and his, his first game he started was at Salford away where he won 2-1 but he only played 45 minutes in a quite an appalling first half on Warsaw really we didn't really get going in that game and he did look a bit shaky and you could tell it was his first EFL start yeah, he was prone to mistakes and you could see Salford were targeting our left-hand side where we had Okugbue and um, Tyler Allen. So, yeah, it looked a bit shaky then and then he's been out with um, an injury for a bit, um, about a month or so, and then he come back in for a big game against Mansfield Town. You know, it was a lot for us for him. Um, at times, I did think he looked OK, but again, he did look a bit... Um, you know, a bit weak defensively, I thought. Um, got caught on the ball a few times. His passing weren't brilliant in that game. But um, his last game was in the first round of the FA Cup um, where we played Sheppard United. And even though they are a fourth-tier non-league side, eighth-tier in English football, I thought he did look good in that game. Um, distributed the ball quite well. Um, he did his job defensively and yeah, he had a solid game that game. But I'm hoping to see a bit more from him um, and hopefully he delivers with some more performances because yeah, we are looking light defensively at the moment. So for you guys, I think it's good to hear. He's probably going to get a few more games with us because we have got a bit of a centre-back um, injury crisis at the moment. Um, we've had Priestley Farquharson, um, Chris Hussey retired recently. So he's going to get plenty of games coming up. Obviously, and obviously, um, Harry Williams is injured as well for us. So, yeah, he'll get plenty of games going into a busy, you know, winter period now. So, yeah, yeah hopefully, like I said, a bit more from him. But, you know, he's young and it's his first EFL loan. So, we've got to give him time. So, thanks for having me on the podcast and up the Saddlers. 
Brilliant, Seb. Thank you for the update on that. Yeah, let's hope that he uh, yeah gets himself a bit more game time and uh, yeah, to obviously improve his performances and and come back a better defender than what he left. And that's maybe the the key with these you know, loan spells out for youngsters. And it's just one way or another learning. And you know, if you can get something out of it, then it's been worthwhile. So news wise, yeah. now it's quite international heavy. Um, so I'm just I'm going to read you a few things here. And then I just want uh, your thoughts. Obviously, I know, Mike, you, know, you hate internationals. Uh, Junior Chamadou, he's been called up by Cameroon. So the first time he's been called up for international duty, he switched allegiances from England to Cameroon. Uh, after Rigobert Song, the uh, the manager at Cameroon, was, um, yeah, sounded him out, likes, likes him, and that wants him to come play for them. So, yeah, he's had his first call up to the... To the first team for that, just in time for the African Nations Cup. It's a good job we've got a few right backs in the squad, isn't it? Um, 16 year old striker Adam Watson is at the under 17 World Cup with New Zealand. So good luck to him. He's going to be missing, he's, uh, you know, generally he's playing or, you know, with the under 18. So he's going to be missing from action for a couple of weeks for them. And now, Sol Sadibi, he has played obviously for England under 17s. But he's missed out on the England squad due to a passport issue. Now, his passport is French after he was born in Paris. But to represent England in a tournament, he needs an English passport. So he's sorting that out now, but obviously he hasn't done it in time to play in this tournament. Um, yeah, so the fact he's played for England so far, they were all friendlies. So he can play friendlies, but nothing competitive without an English passport. Now, his long-term international future now... He's got. He can play for England, due to, and obviously that's due to his residence and obviously living here near enough his entire life. And that is uh, obviously England wants to play for them. They've called him up to squads and played him previously. France, because he was born in Paris, they and they want him to play for them. They've been in touch with him, wanting to play for them. Marley, where his dad, where his dad was from, uh, Mama, and obviously he represented them. They want him. And also Senegal, where his mum was born, um, they want him to go and play for them as well. So he's got four countries all wow. sort of pulling one way or another with him, wanting him to go and you know, pledge his, his international future with them. What, what a choice he's got. He's obviously a man in demand. It just shows the talent that, that he has got and the potential that he's got. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that, Mike? I mean, I'm... See, I, I'm, you're right, Dan. I'm one of them people who's um, never really cared too much for, for internationals. But I think you can't really deny the fact that as much as I don't like them, our players do. And that's probably what helps us actually attract these players in the first place. Um, so I think it's a it's a good opportunity for him. And I think it's, got a, it's a good opportunity for everyone really to to go over there. And, you know, you look at players like like Junior and and things like that and, you know, you can kind of see that as an opportunity for them, you know, to put themselves in, you know, the the manager's thoughts, whether that's now, whether that's in the future, whichever one it is. Like, I think there's, there's obviously a good opportunity. I just think we've... The reason I don't like internationals, Dan, is because every time we get them, we always end up injuring the players that we don't want to get injured. I think that's my problem with it. Um, so I'm not against internationals themselves. I'm against the fact that it, people always like to injure our players, I suppose. But it's it's a great opportunity for the players. So you can kind of see, you know, that's part of the attraction for playing with a 
well, but not so unfashionable anymore. Let's put it that way. So yeah, I, I do get it. I'll I'll ask you that question when the African Nations Cup squads are announced in January, and we've got five weeks <laughs> without about half a dozen players. <laughs> uh, Tom, what do you think? Who would who you would uh, who would you like to see Soul choose? Um, from a selfish point of view, it's obviously going to be England. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've, I mean, we've seen so many players come through the England youth teams and never make it. Um, I think the fact he's got France pulling his arm as well is a big statement of what he could become. Um, and just on the, do you think he's going to get? Oh, sorry, Tom. Do you think he's going to have better quality players to learn off by if he chose France? This, this is my thought. Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking. I mean, France over the last, I don't even know how many years, have always been the nation with the youth coming through, and you've always looked at their youth teams and thought they're just going to dominate over the coming years. Um, but yeah, I think I think he could. I mean, English football is English football, and you know, not many go abroad and learn that type of play um obviously Jude's smashing it in Spain at the minute um but it's only ever one or two players um me he could he could if he's going to France you know I don't know who's in the France um staff in terms of the youth the youth teams but you know if he's ever getting mentored by a Zidane or anything like that it's you know it's gonna be massive yeah he's certainly got two like say France and England Possibly the two most stacked nations in, um, especially attacking senses, anyway, in Europe, aren't they at the minute? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's um, a tough one. It's a tough choice for him, that. Yeah, and if he does choose either of them, um, then and he, and he makes a breakthrough, especially into senior level, then he's going to be a damn good player. <laughs> definitely. Uh, just on the Chamadeo one as well. Um, I follow his brother on Twitter, and he's over the moon. He's been uh, picked for the Cameroon team, uh, so buzzing for him and his family. But from a selfish point of view, <laughs> I don't want to go to the African Cup of Nations because we know what's going to happen. Well, he might get lost like Sammy did. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> What uh, one good point for him? He hasn't got to meet Eric Chupamoti, uh, and I don't believe I believe he's uh, not made the latest squad. So there's there's a plus point there for him. This will be forgot about him. Um, right, yeah, a bit more the news. You touched about earlier on, Mike. Ben Brierton Diaz is on the move in January. Apparently, Villarreal have made him available for loan. Uh, a couple of Premier League clubs and a host of Championship sides all interested. Time for him to come home, I think, isn't it? You, you would hope he. Again, it it, it depends, right? Because if if there are some Premier League clubs after him, as much as us Stoke fans would love him to choose Stoke, I, you have to ask yourself, what do we offer that a Premier League club doesn't? Um, I'd say certainly we don't offer the same wages for a start. Uh, do you know this is the the home where strikers come to die? Don't forget. So. Is is it the best place for him? I know he's going to have his his, his heart set on Stoke. Um, so don't be wrong. I'm not saying I don't want him. Of course I would want him because if we get the the Diaz that we had before he went abroad, then um, we've got a very very exceptional player potential in our hands. But I guess I would flip that back to you and say, 
who drops out? I mean, Dwight Gale is the obvious one, right? But, you know, what do you think the likes of Wesley would think of that? Um, you know, is is that the end for Wesley potentially? Or does that just offer us something completely different again? Uh, I he's, think he's played a lot of his time off, off the left wing, hasn't he? So, yeah, I think he option, you know, he can go across across the front three. And he's another another name, another body in there. Um, the rotation, he can keep people fit. What I think might be in Stokes' favour is he's always stated, Auntie, that his his dream is to play for Stoke. It should only be a six month loan, so it's not like he's committing a massive part of his career to it. But he can tick a box. And also, if he's gone to Villarreal, he's not really been playing. He spent a lot of last season injured for Blackburn as well. So he doesn't really, at this stage of his career, I doubt he wants to go to a Premier League club and then end up sitting on the bench again. If he comes to a championship side, he probably knows that he's going to get game time. And if he's got game time, he'll probably back himself, given the opportunity to reproduce his form. Well, like I say, so that's what he's probably looking for more than anything is an opportunity, and he may not take the risk of going, like I say, and sitting on the bench for six months at the Premier League side. Do you think we've got to be in the promotion picture come January to get it, to get him over the line? I I, I think that anybody between first and fifteenth is in the promotion picture in the Championship in January. Let's be honest. <laughs> No, that's not no guarantees we're going to be in that picture though, Dan. You know, you know what we've been like recently. Um, uh, I say recently, obviously prior to the last five games or so. Um, yeah, I, I think if if we're not in that picture, we can forget it because there'll be other teams above us in that scenario where they will be able to offer him first team football and guaranteed starts. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. I wouldn't turn him down. Don't get me wrong. Um, I just like to try and be a little bit. You know, middle ground on my opinion, where what do we offer that someone else doesn't? But you're right. The whole the fact he wants to play for Stoke again um, is uh, is always a benefit. Yeah, I think you know every player wants to play for the boyhood club, um, but I don't think he'd put that above his career. So if we are struggling, I, I can't see him coming to. You know, just for the sake of it being Stoke, um, but I, I genuinely believe if we are in the mix, and like Dan said, you don't have to be top six to be in the mix. He might come to give us that final push type thing. I mean, God help us if we actually get promoted because we're going to get the living daylights kicked out of us. But never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think that goes for any team at this level, though, doesn't it? It does, yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't start in August with the same team that finished in May. That's the thing. You have a very busy summer. Another one. <laughs> a lot of spaces pods if we were to get promoted. I think the divide's just. Team. Yeah, I think the divide's just so big at the minute. I mean, I think the three teams that went up last season are bottom three at the minute by a long way as well. It's just teams can't seem to stay up once they're up. It's that, that's the thing, and see the gap's getting bigger because you look at this season, the three that come down are in the top four in the Championship and the three that went up are in the bottom four in the, in the Premier League. So I think you just have to be that one that stays up, fourth and bottom, and then you're in a position then, aren't you? But even if, they, even if you know, 
we're talking we were way ahead here, but even he went up and came down, at least with everything like um with the uh, parachute payments, everything else that comes with it, it gives us a bigger budget, allows us to spend more than we have been able to spend, and puts us back at that top sort of top table area, doesn't it? Even if you have to sort of yo-yo for a couple of years, you know, go you know, go up, come down, then go again. But I say let's get near the playoffs before we start talking about getting promoted <laughs> and relegated and back up again. Um, any other business? The King's speech was this week, uh, and he confirmed that there was going to be an independent regulator plan. The plans are in place, and in his words, they have powers to monitor and enforce compliance with requirements in financial regulation, corporate governments, uh, governance, club ownership, fan engagements, and club heritage protection. Uh, it's got to be a good thing, hasn't it, Tom? Stop all the uh, you know, crazy, crazy owners who are coming in and running football clubs into the ground. Yeah, I think they seem to be spawning from all over the place at the minute as well. I think it was uh, was it Scunthorpe at first, and then obviously Sheffield Wednesday's owners been on a bit of a mad one over the recent weeks as well. Um, but I do think they need more governance, especially for the lower league teams. I mean, the Premier League teams, I know they can obviously get to a point where you know they're going to go down and whatnot but the teams in the lower leagues are literally disappearing because of their owners um reading for example is another one um but yeah i think it's yeah i think it's definitely going to be a good thing um because obviously we're very lucky and the owners we've got that They've got the ever-ending stream of money from Bet365. They're always going to pump it in because they love the club and they love the city. Um, but I can't even imagine how it feels when you're seeing your club disappear. Yeah. You've got, you've got, you've got to protect clubs, haven't we, Mike? Long, short-term, long-term. You know, clubs like the guy, who's Vincent Tan at Cardiff, wanted to change the strip from blue to red because it was his lucky colour. Things like that, you can't be going around and do that. You know, these these clubs have got history and heritage, and and just because I think the um, Sheffield Wednesday fans made it quite clear, didn't they, to that Chanziri there? You know, you are you are a custodian. You're just passing through. You are not in charge of this club. We are the other fans are the ones who you keep the club going, and that you are just the custodian. Yeah, I think something's got to happen. I think the football bodies have shown over a long period of time now, Dan, that they're, they're quite simply they're, they're not capable. This fit and proper persons test came in to try and solve them problems, and we've still got the same problems now. Maybe not on such you know massive scale, but clearly something's still wrong with those fit and proper person tests. So you can say that that's not working. I guess I've not I've not seen the detail. I'd like to see who's going to you know, nominate these people. I don't trust the government to buy a, a, a packet of sweets from the shop. So do I trust them to necessarily give the body, uh, you know, set up a body and give the right people the jobs without the, their own friends involved? Again, I've not seen the detail here, right? But um, I, whichever government, which won't be the Conservatives, but whichever government gets in power, and maybe sees this through. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I've got the confidence to know what they'd do with it, if I'm honest. So 
I don't know, maybe you know more than me about who's going to set that structure. But I, w- I don't trust them to do a single thing right, if I'm honest with you right now. So, yeah, we say it can't be bad. It can be bad if they get the right, if they get it wrong. Fair enough. And on that caution note, uh, we'll head into Coventry away. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So, Stoke and Coventry have met 70 times. It's quite tight. There's been 10 draws and 30 wins apiece. Whilst at Coventry, there's been 35 meetings with 11 Stoke wins, 6 draws and 18 wins for Coventry. Now, in recent years, Coventry have only beaten Stoke at home once since 2003. Uh, So that's seven matches. There's been three draws and three Stoke wins in that time as well. Uh, And last season, the 4-0 win for Stoke was the first time that either team had managed to score four away from home in this fixture. So, Stoke's away record is as them 16th in the away table with seven points, although they have won two of their last three away games. Whilst Coventry's home record has them 15th in the home table with 10 points from seven games, uh, although the last time out at home they lost to West Brom 2-0, and that was their first home league defeat since the 4-0 defeat to Stoke in March. The last five matches, well, very different stories here. So Stoke are eighth in the form table last five games with 10 points and are unbeaten in the last four. Whilst Coventry's last five matches sees them 23rd with just a single point, having lost their last four matches. Uh, Alex Neal versus Coventry, three wins, a one draw, one defeat. He scored 13 goals and conceded just four. Um, and he's only what he's only had one visit to Coventry, and obviously that was the four 0 win in March that we'll just keep mentioning. <laughs> uh, Mark Robbins versus Stoke. He's he's managed to get Stoke eight times, four wins, two draws, two defeats, uh, and that 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 aforementioned uh, uh, many times four 0 uh, defeat for Robbins in March was ended a six game, fifteen year unbeaten run against Stoke City for him. Alex Neal versus Mark Robbins again comes down the side of Neal. There's been four matchups, two wins for Neal, one draw, and one win for Mark Robbins. Um, all whilst Robbins has been at Coventry, whilst the, the matches are spread between Neal's stints at Preston, Sunderland, and Stoke. Uh, Coventry are five games without a win, whilst if Stoke managed to avoid a loss, it will match their longest unbeaten run since March 19. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be five games. Yeah, in the March 9, 2019, they were on a nine-match unbeaten run. 
Uh, nobody has used less than Coventry's 22 players this season, whilst nobody's used more than Stoke's 28 in the Championship. Uh, Coventry's uh, game seems to be quite free-flowing. They sit in the top six for progressive dribbles and passes. So that's dribbles or passes that go at least 10 yards forward in the opponent's half. Um, so they're quite high up on that when they're going forward. And also their fourth most progressive carries against them, which means a lot of teams dribble 10 or more yards against them in their half. What that sounds like to me, because the passes actually are quite low against them, so it sounds to me like they, a team that get caught on the counter quite a lot and teams will run at their defence and uh, put pressure on them, run at them. So it says to me there's gaps left for that to happen and it'd be more carries than passes then it sounds like there's a lot of gaps left in their defence um, so yes hopefully we can exploit that uh, the referee is Anthony Backhouse now not a name I was familiar with this season though he's refed 11 matches given 48 yellows one red and two penalties he's ref Stoke only once which was a 2-1 EFL Cup win against Fleetwood in August of 2021 uh, he gave us no yellows no reds and there was no penalties in that match match. Uh, he's refereed Coventry only once as well, which was a 1-1 home draw against Peterborough all the way back in 2018. Uh, they've had two yellows, no reds, no penalties and this will only be his eighth championship match uh, his 121st career professional game as well. On this day, so yeah, just a couple of uh, games really. There's been some high-scoring matches on this day. There was a 3-3 draw at home to Southampton in 1972 and a 3-2 win at against Brighton in 1989. So we could be in for some goals if, uh, if the past is anything to go by with these fixtures on this day. Right, so... Let's now hear, so we've got a couple of audio, we've got good old Gray McGarry, as ever, ever present on this podcast, he sent us his thoughts ahead of the weekend, and we've also got some audio from our friends at Coventry City, uh, yes, so they've sent us as well, so let's have a listen to this. Hello there once again, you Potter's predictors, I hope you're having a better run than I am, but your team is currently doing quite well. Yes, you might be disappointed you didn't take three points last week, but it's not a bad return of points in the last two or three weeks. Well, you're off on your travels, short distance as well this weekend, down to the Rico Arena to take on Coventry City in another game that you'll play before having an international break. Well, Stoke are beginning to show what they're all about and hopefully Coventry City's form at the moment isn't the best and Stoke will take full advantage of that. Many people will be down that Rico Arena supporting the Potters and I think those Potters players are going to give them something to enjoy over the weekend. The prediction this weekend is a good one. It's the red and whites of Stoke City bringing back the three points. Coventry City nil, Stoke City two. Hi, my name's Glenn and I'm part of the All Things Sky Blue team. Um, I've been asked to give my thoughts on Saturday's game between Coventry City and Stoke City. Um, it's been another weird season for Cough City. Um, after all the positive vibes that we had going into last international break, we'd um, been on decent run of form. And yeah, since we've come back after the October international break, we've barely won a game. We're conceding goals for fun. Uh, we're struggling to score goals and uh, we're making daft mistakes. So, yeah, it's kind of crisis time again, which seems to be the 
typical nature of a Coventry City season. We always have these dips of form. So, yeah, um, we're chopping and changing the team. 11 new faces hasn't really helped. Obviously, Stoke have brought quite a lot of new faces in. They seem to have stumbled across a, a winning combination. And as of yet, Coventry haven't found that winning combination. Uh, I expect we'll see more changes for Saturday's game. Um, Milan Van Eerwick may well come back in at right back. And... I suspect there may well possibly be a change in goal. I think Ben Wilson's made a few mistakes in the recent weeks, so it may well be a chance to give ex-Barnsley and Burton Albion goalkeeper Brad Collins a running goal. I doubt that Carl McFadden will play. He had a quite a high-profile mistake that led to a Preston penalty and has been kind of out of form. And then sadly, his uh, mother has passed away uh, this week, so... I doubt he'll play on Saturday, so it means we're missing one of our defensive linchpins. Might see his move to a black four, maybe to match up with Stoke. I, I don't really know at the moment. It's very hard to pick the, the team we're going to play against you. I think the possibility is we may well go over to Ellis Sims and Hadji Wright. I just think they're the two sort of strikers that might call, cause McNally and Rose some problems. We might go to a 4-3-3. We may well stick with wing-backs, uh, I honestly don't know what we're going to do. So, yeah, it'll be very hard for Alex Neal to know what the Croft City lineup is. I'm pretty sure I could name probably the Stoke lineup barring any unforeseen injuries. I don't think that's the case with Croft, so, yeah, it's very hard to do. Uh, the players that I'm worried about uh, for Stoke would be uh, Wout Berger. He seems a good player. Obviously, he was a name banded about as a possible Hamer replacement for us. I think Stoke have done well to get him. Uh, Tyrese Campbell always impresses uh, when he plays against us. I don't think he's going to be fit this time, which is an added bonus. And Hoover, who played right wing slash right back against us last season, was a star performer and scored a cracking finish. So, yeah, it'll be... Uh, worrying game for the Cough fans because yeah, although we have a good record against Stoke, the last game you guys absolutely destroyed us I would take a nil-nil draw now or scrappy 1-0 win to Cough uh, I've got a funny feeling that McNally or Rose are going to score against us, either an equaliser or the winner uh, so yeah I will go 1-0 Cough and I will predict that Hadji Wright scores again Brilliant. Cheers, Graham, and thank you, Glenn. Um, so, lads, it's going to be an interesting game. Can we make it five undefeated in a row, a whole international break uh, to international break without defeat? Can we do it, Tom? <laughs> I want to say yes. Um, and I, f- I feel like this is going to be the game that could trip us up. Um Obviously, good form. <clears throat> Coventry not doing the best in the minute. Um, they seem to be leaking quite a few goals. We've got three clean sheets in a row. And like you said before, it's got 1-0 Coventry written all over it. <laughs> um, and I think this is going to be the test now. I think if we can get rid of this charity FC image that we seem to always give away, I think it could be a sign that maybe... The table has finally t- the page has finally turned, um, but yeah, I think it's always a talk. <laughs> There's no easy games in this league. Let's be honest. Um, we did it there last year when they were in good form. 
So I am pretty confident, but there's still that that little bit of me that's thinking they'll do a win, and we love giving teams who are do a win a win. We do indeed. Um, yes, Charity FC's been <laughs> it's been sort of a very traditional thing with Stoke City. It's been going back generations, I'm sure. <laughs> Certainly, my generation. I've seen it. What about you, Mark? Do you think that we match up? I know, obviously, we won four 0 at Coventry last year. But to me, that they're going to be smarting from that. They're going to put that right, aren't they? That results. And how many of our squad now were actually playing that day? So whereas it's going to motivate them, that result, the confidence that we will have taken from that is probably not going to be that much because there weren't that many players involved. And in fact, the two central halves were on the opposition side that day. Yeah, it doesn't bode well, does it? Um, yeah, so, you know what? I, I don't think anything that happened last year is going to have a, a blind bit of difference on this one, right? So I looked at like the home and away form and stuff like that. Like Coventry are 15th for the home form table. Like They've won two, drawn four. And they've only lost one. Now, if you compare that against how many teams have actually lost one at home, that's up there with Ipswich, West Brom, Preston, Cardiff. You know Birmingham, other teams, right? Um, you know, there's there's other teams that have only kind of like lost one at home. So something to bear in mind that there are obviously no pushovers at home. They've got a positive goal difference. They certainly, you know, they score more than they concede. Uh, we are 16th in the away table. So you know we've only won two games away from home this season um, out out of our seven. So. It's a tricky one. There's not going to be much in this. One bit of confidence I probably have is that, you know, we went to Middlesbrough and nobody expected us to get even remotely close to Middlesbrough and we played them off the park. So, yes, they could say they had a bad day. But at the same time, I think we are a match for anybody in this in this division. If we go and turn up and we're the Stoke City that turned up at Borough, you know, and turned up against Sunderland and all those other teams... And you know, I genuinely do think we will be perfectly fine. I have confidence that we're going to win this one. And I think we're going to go into the international break uh, full of confidence, literally, you know, tickling uh, the, the the chins of, of the playoff uh, teams. I could have gone a different direction there, by the way. Uh, then, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, a, a hard fought, but a convincing at the same time 2-1 win. I, I don't see us losing it, and that is heart ruling ahead potentially. But um, I aren't concerned. I think we're a good team, and I think they're going to want to take the the onus to us being the home team, and that's going to play directly into our hands. So I, I, I'm not overly concerned, if I'm honest. I'm just um, looking at the game they lost. It was actually the last the last home game against West Brom that they lost, and I'm looking at the stats. Coventry had 65% possession. They had over twice as many shots. They had over twice as many passes, and they lost 2-0. So I watched I, that game. It might be one of them days where Wes is up top. <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. And how many um, games do we win? With less, how many games do we win, Tom, without most, most possession? Yeah, I think, I think all the games we've won are the ones where we haven't had most possession. <laughs> um, but... It's, I think you mentioned it on a previous pod, maybe it was the last one or the one before. The difference is, from the beginning of the season, we were kind of passing it around, waiting for something to happen. 
But with the teams that have come at us, it's kind of like we get the ball and it's one or two passes and, you know, we're flying up the pitch and that might work in our favour and we could hear them if they do come at us, as we've seen with Leeds and Sunderland. Yeah, I watched, I watched that game. It was on Sky, that Coventry West Brom match. And although Coventry had a lot of the ball, they did very little, if anything, with it. They had, there was no creativity. They didn't know how to manufacture chances. Um, yeah, even West Brom were went there. They were disciplined. They, they had a structure, a bit like um, Cardiff when they came here. And then what they did, they hit them on the break. And I know um, the the ladder we were linked with in the summer plays for West Brom. Um, he's played for Salford. Asante. Yes. Uh, yes, Thomas Asante came off the bench um, and basically used his pace, got him behind, and has a, you know, a beautiful finish. But yeah, Coventry, a bar one, bar one opportunity for Wright, uh, where he got muscled the defender out, um, got through one-on-one with the keeper. The keeper dropped to his left and left you, know, and the Wrights tried to put the ball to, his, you know, to the opposite way, and he rolled it wide of the post when it was easier to sort of roll it into the net. <laughs> uh, bar that, Coventry really ne- never got never looked like scoring in that match. Um, I know last weekend I was, I was watching sort of the goals back again, and you know the they look vulnerable. They look vulnerable in that West Brom game. They look vulnerable in the game last weekend as well against Preston to pace. So if pace and counter-attacking. And I think that comes from letting the opposition have the ball, doesn't it? And I think we've we sort of said last week in that that it does happen so often when you have a lot less of the ball, you can end up with better chances from not having the ball because teams end up with players out of position or they end up pushing for high up the field. And if you've got a quick strike force, you get the ball and two, three passes, bang, 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 progressive forward passes and you're in. You're in, you're creating chances, you swing across into someone running in the middle or you get an opportunity yourself running through. And you generally are better chances from those situations then when you have the slow build-up, and like I say, well, we were on the other side of home last week, trying to create chances from nothing against a stubborn defence, you generally end up with like half chances in those situations. Um, yeah, Westbrook, like I say again, Westbrook, they're vulnerable at the back, pace, counter, that will really fit into how we play. I think we are a lot pacier than we were. But the other end of the pitch as well. Now they look all the, they look all at sea, to be honest. Um you know, like I say before, I mean Wright scored two last week, but both of them were off the keeper. So where I mean he's got to be the right place at the right time. Right, right place somewhere. <laughs> um but I think it was by more like luck than judgment that it just ended up with him. Um, but yeah, I think what we will do is obviously he follows in with shots. He's got that good strikers instinct there of, you know, when a shot comes in, he follows with it. So when the keeper, if the keeper does score anything, he gets himself a tap in, of which he got two last week. So that's something we'd have to be wary of. Um, one thing I did notice, and it was if I was contrified, I'd be worried about this. Now last week, Mike, I was watching the the the, the ball came in from wide. 
It's a good 20, 25 yards from goal, from the wing, ball into the box. Not, didn't look fantastic, but it was a good delivery, but nothing, you know, extraordinary. And that Otmi Itch, who we all linked with in the summer for Preston, he stood six yards out in the middle of the goal and he just picks his spot with his header. He's got a defender centre-back five yards in front of him and a centre-back five yards behind. Nobody around him, nobody close to him. No, neither of them attempt to win the ball. Neither of them attempt to get across and close him down after seeing what's happened. They both just stand there, watch the ball come over, watch him edit and then look at each other like, what have we done there? And that was for the 3-2, that was for the winning goal. And to me, I was looking at that thinking, wow, if, if, if that's how you defend, then you've got some serious problems in that side. Yeah, actually, I, I think I think they're very much, you know, teams that a team that you can pick off. I, I I really do. I think we've got some some good physicality. I think we've started to, you know, score from set pieces uh, as we've seen in the last, you know, three or four games. We're, we're dangerous from set pieces. So if if they're going to be, for example, that susceptible to, um, you know, stupid defensive errors and lapse in concentration and stuff like that. Um, I think we're the exact type of team who could take you know take advantage of that. If it's going to be a close game, then maybe that's enough to win it. You know, a set piece, a corner, whatever it may be, free kick, maybe that is their chance to um to go and take advantage of it, Dan. And um I'm sure you've probably seen this yourself. I was having a quick bit of a read as you and Tom were talking. Um the form table for the last four games uh, I'm going to ask Tom uh, the, this question. Tom, last four games, where is Stoke in the form table? Got to be top three, surely. I think we're yeah, going to be top, top, aren't we? Joint top. Yeah, so Stoke, Southampton and West Brom uh, are played four, won three, drawn one, lost none. Uh, we're only technically, it was joint top, but, but technically third, just on goals for... Uh, Score really, uh, but not much in it. Uh, guess who's uh, in the bottom three? Cough. <laughs> Birmingham City 22nd, Norwich City 23rd, Coventry City 24th. Played four, won none, drawn none, lost four, and a minus six goal difference throughout all of that as well. Um, so we're top, they're bottom of the form table, basically. I know form doesn't always mean an awful one lot, right? Um, <laughs> one nil Coventry incoming. <laughs> well, even if, okay, the last six games, they are third from bottom. Played six, won one. So it doesn't get much better for them. Yeah, and I'm until just... eight games out, and even then they've only won one more game in eight. So I'm, just... I'm saying be cautious, but don't think that these are world beaters because I'm, I'm they're not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm um I'm just looking at some as well and with the Dan mentioning that goal for Preston, I'm just having a look at the defensive. Um bottom three on interceptions per match, bottom three on clearances per match. So maybe the defence are a bit shaky. Yeah, we um sort of mentioned before we recorded it, we tell that they've lost the spine, the side really. I mean, I know Rose was a bit part player, but McNally was a key defender for them. Um, alongside, is it McFancy and the captain? Yeah. Um, and then obviously in midfield, they've lost uh, Hamer and everything that he brings there, you know, the creativity and everything they get from him. Um, Callum O'Hare's been injured. He's just come back from a very you know, serious long-term injury. 
he's come off the bench the last three games. He's going to be a massive plus for them if they can get him fit and back to the, the form that he had. And then obviously you've had uh, Victor Jokeres, who left for Sporting Lisbon, and he's gone there and he's scoring you know, nearly a goal a game and you know goal um, contribution a game for them. And it just shows you know what a brilliant player he what he is, and obviously what a miss he is going to be for them. So I think they've, like I said, they've lost some a lot of players, and I'm not sure they've spent that money wisely that they got in either, did they? No, I don't think they did. Um... I can't remember how much they went for, but I know it was pretty big money, especially for a championship side. And when we were speaking before the recording, we said you could have brought a whole new team for that. And it kind of felt like, well, from the outside looking in, it looks like they just kind of spent money for the sake of having it. Um, I think that it's been okay. I know we got the two goals last week, but I think before that, you only got three goals, I think. Uh, Sims, I think, is on the bench most games. Uh, I think they got that Godin, Godin, probably just butchered his name. But I think he's he had a really good start to the season. I believe I remember seeing him scoring a couple of games. Um, and then the right back uh, Dutch guy Van Uyk, I think his name is. He looked like he was going to be an unreal signing. Um, I don't know how he's been doing, but obviously some of it isn't working. Are we? Are we all? I mean, I've kind of told you I think we're going to win 2-1 um, are you boys it sounds like you boys are being slowly convinced that we're going to win this one on the weekend to me yeah slowly <laughs> no, to be fair if if we weren't charity FC I'd be so confident um, but you just know what we're like in these types of games um, but I, I am 90% confident that we're going to win do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go one step further, Dan. Sorry, just before I let you actually answer the question I've asked you. <laughs> um, my 2-1 prediction, guess who's going to score the goals? Luke well, McNally. Luke McNally and Michael Rose, both from set pieces, 2-1 win. You just love running salt into the wounds, don't you? <laughs> I think Rose has got a massive point to prove as well, hasn't he? Get them in your uh, gaffer team, Dan. It's going to happen at the weekend. Yeah, well, I'll get some money if I'm putting uh, Michael Rose. I don't think he's very expensive on that game. Um, yeah, me, I, I think, I think we're going to win. I think it's the case of like, like um, Tom was saying. Then <laughs> the feeling that we you know, we have to. You give teams something if they're struggling. It's always been the same way, Auntie, for so many years. Even when we were, even when you know we were like Stoke owner, we still managed to do it then, didn't we? Under you know Pulis and that, the, the, the great days that we had there, we still did the same thing then. It's like it's ingrained into into the club. However, we'll um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I think yeah, I'm going to go with a two 0 win. For me, I'm going to go with two 0 win. I think we'll get an early goal, and then I think we'll get a late one where we sort of you know, counter attack forward um, under a bit of pressure. They they uh, you know lose. We win the ball back, counter attack quickly, and score. Uh, my two goals are going to come from Berger. Rose. <laughs> uh, Berger, and who's going to score the other one? Vidigal. We'll have Vidigal scoring the second one. What about you, Tom? Cop out. <laughs> Go on, Tom. 
<laughs> um, I'm going to go... I'm going to be ambitious. I'm going to say 3-1. And I'm going to say Vidigal, Lewis, and McNally. Yes, mate. Yeah, you had three chances. You want to get managed to get one of them in there. I'll give you that. <laughs> oh, I, couldn't say, I couldn't say we're going to hit them on the break later on and say Marco Rose is going to score that goal. What do you mean? Do you think he's not capable of, of driving 50 yards forward and bending <laughs> on the top corner in Zonti? No, but I think if we're 1-0 up in the dying stages and we go on and we counter-attack, I don't think uh, Alex Neal will be too impressed to see Marco Rose charging forward. Yeah, <laughs> you'll say that down when he's, he's doing step-overs, he's beating his men and bends it into the top corner and then uh, shushies the, the Coventry fans. You, you won't be saying that when he's doing that. Um, what team are you going with, then? So, no big changes for me, actually. My team is pretty much the same. Uh, the one exception is what I mentioned earlier, is dropping Johnson for Haksabanovic. And that is all I'm changing. I'm happy with everything else. Tom? Um... Yeah, I'd agree. I think if Mai's fit, Mai plays, um, I think he's still going to choose Johnson. But I'd like to see Hacks in there. Um, yeah, I think if Mai isn't fit, I'd go with Wesley. I know he isn't the most impactful, but Gale, as much as he works hard and he played well against Bullet, he's just he can't score to save his life. So he shouldn't be the number nine, in my opinion. Oh, God, I just forgot about bloody Dwight Gale. Okay, can I, was I, take, can I take that back? <laughs> I was thinking. Um, yeah, I'm taking that back. Um, my 100%. Uh, sorry, I forgot all about Dwight Gale. That's how much I care about Dwight Gale. Uh, so he he definitely replaces Gale if he's not in. As I've already said, I don't like Wesley uh, leading that line for me. I think it's too slow. It's too it's too robust um, in terms of, you know, it's just... it's. It just lacks dynamic um, movement for me. So if my is not fit, I would be putting Vidigal into the middle, Larice on the right, Haksabanovic on the left. I think I'll go down that way. You know, I, I actually spoke to my mate about this. Um, now, I don't know if he's ever played there before, but Larice, with the amount of headers he wins, do you reckon he could do a job in the middle? or? Oof, um. It's, and you can obviously it, do the it, pressing it, as well. Oh, Jake, it depends, Jake Brown we like to play those long balls out to the wings, not not down the middle, don't we? Yeah. Hey, Jake, Jacob Brown could do that job, couldn't he? And he is, <laughs> he's a similar player, similar stature. That's true, yeah. I think, I think if you have if you had Luis Vidigal at Haksbanovic's front three, I'd just have him switching and changing. Um, you know, get Luis a goal kick, get Luis onto the wing to win the header and Vidigal or Hacks comes into the centre, that type of thing. So who's actually coming into your side then, Mark, if um, Gail's dropping out? It'd be Haksabanovic, mate, for me, if, uh, if Mike can't play. Is Haksabanovic not in already for Johnson? Oh, that's a good point, actually. Um, uh, would it be you know what? Long? I would move Juno into Johnson's position. And then play Haxer uh, as one of the front three. Fair enough, right? Because I, I sounded junior, not junior, sorry, uh, Hoover, has uh, kept his place. Even though he said he should be dropped, but well, you're not giving you can't change the side again. 
<laughs> so, um, I, yes, I'm keeping Bonham in goal. I'm keeping the back four as it is. So, Henry and Stevens in the, the full backs, and uh, McNally and Rose as the centre backs. Ben Pearson protected him. So, that defensive six, if you like, is uh, sticking, sticking as it has been for a few games now. Uh, in front of them, I'm going to big it, and I'm, I actually did have Bay, uh, so John Ho. Uh, now, Coventry's midfield, What for me, since we've played them, since they've come up into the championship, every time they have a really fluid working midfield, so they have, it's really like pass and move, pass and move, into space, and they passed it around, you know, for so many years when we had like Lucas and Allen, uh, Powell and that, they just found it so easy to just pass, move, pass, move and play little triangles around us in midfield and we were just chasing shadows. I think somebody like Bay has the energy to really stop that happening. Getting really, you know, stuck in and and not just, you know, they've got the, the movements to, to maybe, you know, to negate that. So he's going to be playing for me. He's going to be... Um, at the sort of that number 10 position, but obviously he can help out with the midfield as well, since we are away from home. If we need to drop him into the three midfield, make it a three midfield, then we can, and he can help us win the ball, and he's got the energy then to drive forward with it. Uh, for me, I'm going to have Larice on, uh, on the right, and Vidigar on the left, and Ryan May down the middle. If May isn't fit, then I would go with Gale again. I think Gale keeps his place for me if May's not fit. Uh, I was quite impressed with, I like his movements. I think the last time we actually had, he was really, you know, key to how we, how we did it up front, actually. Um, I think he was you know, a real vital way of manoeuvring defence out of the way. And I think if we have got a lot of creativity in there, in, you know, Vinegar, Lloris and that, and then saying John Ho, then they could really benefit from uh, Gail dragging people out of position. Are either of you a bit concerned about Ryan May's injury record at the minute? Yes. It is a little bit concerning, isn't it? I think, yeah, I think he... <laughs> I've, I haven't seen his injury record previously, but I can't remember it ever being flagged up. But it does seem like he comes back for a game and disappears again with... Obviously, Axel's very hush hush about the injury front as well, so you don't know what's actually happening with him either. If it's one of them where we've got options, so we aren't rushing them back, whereas previously we didn't have the options up front, did we? We were threadbare in those kind of positions, so once he was able to stand on his <laughs> you know, stand up. He was like, oh, "Are you back in the team now?" Look at you. Yeah, you're fit. You're fine. Whereas now, because we've got other players, and because let's be honest, because we're doing well and winning, we haven't got to rush them. We can just take take a step back and make sure that we build, um, like take an opportunity to keep my other side and build him up, fitness wise, to get him back to a level before putting him back in and getting him on the pitch, getting to that level. If you know what I mean. I reckon so, yeah, because when he returned the first time, obviously he was out for a few weeks and he didn't come back on the bench, did he? He came straight into the starting lineup. Yeah. Um, and obviously, with what happened with Vidigal, where he was on the bench, we had to bring him on because he was the only option we had. And 
you know, he he makes the, the injury worse and delays his full return again. It, it probably is that, yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so hopefully, like I say, it's not that he wouldn't wouldn't be fit now if he, if he wasn't needed. It's just that we feel we can, you know, the best option is for him to give him an extra few weeks to build his fitness up and we'll go from there. Hopefully. Let's have the, uh, let's have the decision-making from Alex Neal is a bit better than, you know, Michael Rose thinking that Maradona won the Ballon d'Or in the 90s, eh? Oh, that got me, that did. <laughs> Betty felt such an idiot. Oh, when he asked if I knew if that was the best one. On to Gaffer now. So, yes, I now sit 36th in the table after picking up 38 points this week, taking me a total of 790. Uh, the top player this week was at Ruby underscore SNC. He's picked up a whopping 94 points. So, well done to, well done to Ruby there. The top three remains un- unchanged. Uh, we have Stoke in Bay is top at Jamie Gaffer second and at Thurwood Joe in third. Super six. Now, I forgot for the second time in three weeks, I forgot to do my midweek super six. And uh, yes, I've dropped to 26 places down to 53rd. I have 132 points. Uh, Mike, he did do his. So yes, you did do yours, Mike. Um, he picked up eleven points, which dropped you one place in the table to eighty-first, and you are now on one hundred and twenty-three. So just nine points behind me. I, I just forgot to do it, so you could catch me off. That's all. Make it a bit interesting for people. It's too far ahead of you. <laughs> um, top of the table overall is a Michael Gajaja with one hundred and seventy-one, and then joint second is Michael Hazeldean and. Kevin Williams on 165 points. Right, yeah, so one last thing to end on is your six times challenge. Now, no. I've oh, not done one of these yet. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier on that Adam Watson's gone to the Under-17 World Cup um, with New Zealand this week. So the last World Cup in 2022 had six players there who either were at Stoke or had previously been at Stoke. Can you name those six players who were at the last men's full World Cup in 2022? So you're asking the one man who doesn't like international players. (laughs) Okay, so they are at Stoke now. Or have been previously. Stoke, they were either at Stoke then, or yeah. had already or had previously been at Stoke. This is under twenty ones. No, at the full World Cup. The one at the full World Cup. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a clue. There was there's only one player in the squad who went. He's left the club now. That's not James. No, not James McLean, is it? Oh, that's a tough one, that. Oh, was it? No, 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 it wasn't him, was it? Oh, uh, Will Smallbone? What if... No, when was he? Was he 22? Oh, Irish. Ireland didn't qualify. I will tell you that before you... Obviously, you've got a couple of Irish names thrown out there. Was it African player? No. There was one. He was... He, he, we sold him 
last January. Suter. Yes. So he was there with Australia. And then the other five had all left the club. Two played for um, the same home nation's uh, country. One played a lot of games. One played just, I'd say, just more than a handful of games for Stoke, but was here quite a while. Not the foggies with this, Dan. Not the foggies, mate. This is hard. Very hard. Right. So, if I say the home nations that qualified were England and Wales, Joe Allen. Joe Allen's one. He was one who played quite a few times. Adam Davis. Adam Davis is the other one who played probably a handful of games for Stoke. Um, So, yeah, you got three of them. Now, there's one who's he likes getting goal of the tournaments and producing. Those kind of moments at these the international ah Shakiri Shakiri for Switzerland <laughs> Arnautovic Arnautovic uh, wasn't there uh, Austria oh, didn't qualify oh now there's two both double barrel names one and neither of them set the place on fire when they were here one's already been mentioned on this podcast two promoting. Ah. And the other one is an American who's now playing for Celtic. Oh, what's his name? What's his name? <laughs> uh, the one from Tottenham, Carter Vickers. Yes. Carter Vickers, yeah. So, yes, those are your six players who were at the uh, either with Stoke or former Stoke players at the time. From who were at the Qatar World Cup in 2022. That was a tough one. Slow build up. Slow build up. We got there in the end. Just need a little bit of guidance, did you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, well, we're off to the, what's it called? Is it the CBS these days? It was the Rico last time I think I went. Um, Got, is it two and a half thousand Stoke fans all shelling out 37 quid each? Yeah. to go there so yes um, they'll all be cheering them on hopefully to three points and uh, yes we'll be we'll be back international break Mark what are the plans have we got any plans or are we just doing it as we as a moment please <laughs> um, yeah mate we might be doing a, a joint championship uh, with other podcasts from from around the division so that might be happening uh, as well over the international break so that'll get released as a pod uh, you'll probably be able to join us live as well uh, if that does happen so yeah we will think, um, announce that if that happens I think we'll do we'll do our normal spaces that we've been doing in the international breaks with bringing uh, obviously you guys who follow us on Twitter can get involved and you know come speak to us put your comments um, if you want to do like that I think we'll still be doing that one as well won't we but then we're going to sort of just, like I say, we've got some other championship podcasts that we're in with. And as Mark was saying, then we'll be doing a spaces with them. Um, basically, it's just, just a big platform. So, yeah, we'll be releasing that as well. So you may well get two. No promises, but you may well get two spaces podcasts to keep you, uh, keep you going over the international break. 
Lovely. Excellent. Well, uh, boys, thanks very much and uh, look forward to getting three more points on Saturday, eh? Up the potters. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.